14, 11 through 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Um, Heavenly Father, um, we come to you tonight. Um, I want to thank you for everyone in this room. Um, I want to thank you for your word. Um, It is good and it is true. Um, You are good and you are true, even when um, we don't understand what is going on around us. Um, Thank you for Chris Horn. Um, Use his word tonight to touch hearts. Um, We love you. Amen. So, I'm not from North Carolina. Uh, I'm from Georgia. But I've tried my best to, like enter into North Carolina, like, state sports, and I have uh, tried to get into the Panthers. Okay, people, do we like the Panthers? Really psyched up about the Panthers at RUF Nick. Um, Steve Smith, okay, so Steve Smith used to be a Panther. He's probably the greatest Panther. So are we like all, can, can, will talking about Steve Smith bring us all together? Did we know Steve Smith? Yeah. All right. He was short and he's a good receiver. Um, Steve Smith uh, is a unique person though because Steve Smith is like, has like two personalities. He's like simultaneously like the guy that like he goes to church and he's like the family guy, you know, like very serious about his family, like sort of traditional like religious person. And uh, like, like if you follow him on, on Instagram, as you should, um, there's a lot of pictures of his family and stuff like that. But, like, on the field, he's, like, this super, like, jerk, you know, like, bad boy, like, I'll fight you if you get in my face 
thing, which is really funny because he's much smaller than everybody usually. And um, most people are not at all like Steve Smith. Uh, Steve Smith is like a rule-keeping religious guy and like a rule-breaking bad boy religious guy. But most people fall into the rule-keeping camp or the rule-breaking camp, okay? The world is broadly divided up into like Woody's and Buzz Lightyear's or like into Miley's and Hannah Montana's, okay? Um, you don't usually get the best of both worlds. Um, oh, man. Okay, uh, Beyonce, Sha- Sasha Fierce, Taylor Swift, Kanye West, Sheldon, Penny. Um, uh, usually the world, we're either rule keepers or rule breakers. And if you have in a family and you have siblings, if you have, like, if there's just two siblings in your family, one of you is the rule keeper, like usually the older one that like wants mom and dad to like you and wants mom and dad to approve of you and you stay close to home and do the thing that you're supposed to do. And usually the younger one is like the crazier one that like wants to break the mold um, and uh, chart their own course and be like sort of countercultural. Like usually the younger one's like the first one to get a piercing. Okay. Um, and so the world basically falls into rule keepers and rule breakers. And something that I, I say a lot and I hear you guys say back to me a lot is that um, everybody does what they want all the time. Okay? Uh, this is like sort of my like mantra for life. Like the way you understand why people do what they want to do is because they wanted to do that thing. Like I can't understand why they broke up with me because they wanted to. Um, and what, what I mean by that is that Every, each one of us in this room has an idea of what the good life is, okay? We have an idea of like what we want our life to look like, what it means to live the good life. Um, and that sort of desire that we're looking at that good life determines all the choices that we make. Do we go to the gym or do we not go to the gym? Do we stay in and study or do we go out and party? Do I hang out with my friends or do I go hang out with this guy or this girl? Um, should I drink or not drink? Should I drink underage or should I not drink? Should I drink to drunkenness or not? Um, we're all trying to live out our vision of what the good life, even here today, like what the good life as an Appalachian student looks like. That's what determines the decisions that we make. And some of us take a path that is the traditional rule-keeping path, um, that you are suspicious of change. You don't want to rock the boat. You follow tradition. Okay? You want to go back home when you graduate. You want to get a safe job. And others chase that good life by breaking the rules, charting your own course, being rebellious. In short, there's two kinds of people in the world, religious people and irreligious people. That makes sense. And what Jesus is doing in this parable tonight is he's showing us these two sons. And the one son is sort of like the embodiment of the rule keeper. Like, I will get the good life. I will be happy by being a rule keeper and doing the thing that's expected of me. And the other one, the younger son is the classic rule breaker. And what I want to do this week is is look at the challenges of being a rule breaker, of being a younger son. And then next week, we're actually going to look at the same passage again and look at what it means to be a rule keeper. Like, what are the challenges of being a rule keeper? If you want to read more on this, this is interesting to you, on our book table, which is full of books that you can check out for free or buy. There's a good book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And I stole most of the stuff from him. So just read the book. If you have to like, go to the bathroom, just read the book. You'll be fine. Um, okay. So there's an outline on your handout. Uh, the, fir- the first point there is a portrait of the sinner as a young man. Okay. Um, this guy, this younger son, he goes to his father. And he says, Dad, I want you to give me the, my share of the inheritance now. 
Okay, as the younger son, he was probably going to get like a third of his father's wealth when he died. And he says, I want that now. And so I was reading this guy who's like worked with people all the way from like, um, from like uh, Morocco to India and like Turkey to Sudan, like in these very traditional cultures. And he said he's gone around and asked people, what do they think about this happening? Like, how do you feel about this son asking his dad for the inheritance? And they like routinely all said like, the father should beat the son. You're like, that's weird. Why would anyone say that? Because you live in America. But um, they said we should beat the son. He's like, why should the father beat the son? He's like, because this son wants his father to be dead. He's wishing his father was dead. He's like, dad, the only way I'm going to get your stuff is if you die. And you being alive is keeping me from getting the stuff. And I wish you would just go ahead and die. So really what he asked the father to do is if he, like, hey, could you, like, real quick, like, Commit like financial and cultural suicide for me so I can get your stuff. Okay? And um, if there was tabloids in sort of ancient Near East, Israel, Palestine, which they, there weren't, um, this would have been a cover story on the, I don't know, Palestine, I'm not even going to come up with a stupid name. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're all, one of the uniting factors, we always say a thing at the beginning of RUF, that you're not so bad, you're beyond the, the reach of God's grace, not so good, you're beyond the need of God's grace. Um, and really in short, what that means is the thing that brings us together, the thing that unites everybody in this room, is that we are all experts at sinning. And by sinning, I mean doing things that insult God. Doing things that God doesn't want us to do that hurt Him. And really, when we choose to sin, when we choose to break God's law, when we choose to insult God... What we're really saying is like, I really just kind of wish you were dead. Like, I would like your stuff. I want the stuff. I want my life that you gave as a gift. I want like whatever wealth I have. I want the opportunities that you give me, my talents, other people. I like all those things, but I want those things without you. And I don't want you to tell me what I can do with the stuff that is yours that you gave me. Um, And we use those things to treat God like he's dead, like he doesn't exist. Because we want the father's stuff, but not the father. And the thing that this father does, the first thing that he does that's really amazing, is this son comes to him and like insults him. And says, I wish you were dead. And the father says, okay. You can have it. I will give it to you. And this does not look like the father going to like the bank of Palestine and withdrawing a third of his net worth or like getting it out of his 401k and giving it to his son. This is an agrarian society where all of this dude's wealth would have been in, like, land and livestock, okay? So he has to literally go and take all the stuff. Like, there's people working there. The rest of the family lives there. And he has to liquidate land, livestock, lay people off. And he really lowers the standard of living for the entire family so that he can get whatever cash he can get together to get to the son. It hurts the entire family. So, like, in, in the passage where it says he... Um, he divided up his property at the end of verse 12. He did, divided his property between them. In the Greek, it actually says he divided his life between them. Like we, when we say like someone makes a living, we know that means like more than money, right? Like this is part of who you are as a human being. He's taken his dad's legacy, his life's work, the thing that was going to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. He said, I just want you to sell it and give me the cash. And so the father, he does it. Um, He grieves the Father, which is what our son does to God. Um, And so the first sort of point that we were noticing there is that um, our sin 
is an affront to God personally. We tell God we wish you were dead. We want your stuff, but we don't want you. But the second thing that Jesus is showing us about sin here is that it has catastrophic effects on everyone around us. Okay? So I'm a big fan of the movie Frozen. And, um, and I like to think it's not because I've had to watch it like 40 times. Um, I actually think there's a lot of great things in Frozen. Uh, I think it's a brilliant movie. But um, I, I'm really struck. I, I, I get emotional whenever Anna goes to visit, visit Elsa in the Ice Palace. You guys tracking with this? Okay. She goes to visit her, and they sing for the first time in forever again, right? And um, Elsa has gone up on this mountain to, like, be herself, right? Like, she wants to, like, be herself. So she, so she tells Anna, like, go back home, enjoy the sun, open up the gates, you know. Um, and she, said, she, says, I, I, uh, she says, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free, right? Like, I'm free to do what I want. I'm not hurting anybody. I can just track the course that I want to. I don't have to be held down by these. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think my daughter thinks she's saying I'm three. Yeah, she was three. Um, um, but, you know, she's, she says, uh, just stay away and you'll be safe from me. Okay? I can do my thing and it's not going to hurt you. You know, then Anna's like, well, actually, we're not. Yeah. Uh, because the... Because what she has done is hurt the entire kingdom, right? That's put them all in deep, 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 deep snow. Okay. <clears throat> Our sin, when we sin, we think this is just me doing my thing, charting my own course. And in reality, our sin hurts everyone around us. This son is hurting his entire family and community with his sin. But it doesn't just hurt them. It comes back and hurts him. He takes the money that his dad gives him. A couple days later, he heads off as, literally as far away as he can go. And he spends his money on pleasure. He follows his dreams. He gets everything that he always wanted. But eventually, he runs out of cash. He's broken away from the traditions of his family. He runs out of cash. And he's sitting in a famine with no money. And like when we think, like he thinks he can kill his father and chase his dreams and he's going to be okay. But just like this guy, when we think that we can just sort of kill God and we can do what we want to do and marginalize him, we're actually the ones that end up dying. Because he's starving. He doesn't have anything to eat. Um, FYI, this guy is Jewish. Okay. He's going, he, he sells himself out to a Gentile. And the guy gives him a job feeding pigs. Okay? This is not something a Jewish person would be super comfortable with doing. This is a very unclean thing. This is like um, you like are starving and you're out of school and you don't have any money. So you go working, taking out the trash at Trivet. Okay? And you have to carry the big trash bag where the trash juice is just coming onto your pants. And as you're carrying the trash juice... You're staring longingly at like the chewed up and then spit out burrito from Trivet. And imagine thinking like, I wish I could eat that and they won't let me eat that. Like this is what the end of his sin looks like. He's like completely dehumanized. He's feeding pigs things and he can't eat it. Um, if, you, if you have the stomach for it, there's a film by Darren Ornofsky called Requiem for a Dream. It's a really good um, picture of what our sin looks like. It ends up dehumanizing us doesn't kill God, kills us. So, this guy's sitting with pigs, he's clutching his stomach, he's literally starving, 
and wishing he could eat these pods that the pigs are eating, and an idea pops into his head. He puts together a plan. Okay. Um, some of you guys have done the thing where you're like, well, the way I'm living is really hurtful, and like I need something needs to change. Okay. Some of you guys have, have walked that path. Some of you guys are walking that path right now. And uh, usually what we do when we get a plan, we say, like, this thing's hurting me. I'm th- like, this relationship is hurting me. This, this friend group is hurting me. This behavior is killing me. Um, I'm going to turn my life around. Okay? I'm going to stop doing bad stuff, and I'm going to start doing good stuff. Okay? This son does what we do. He says, I'm going to stop being a rule breaker and instead be a rule keeper. That would be okay. He goes to his father, like, like, okay, like maybe you would say, like, I'm going to go to RUF. I'm going to start going back to church. I'm going to try to start praying again. I'm going to start reading my Bible. Um, I'm going to stop drinking so much. And um, I, try, I tried this. Uh, I, I did not grow up in a uh, Christian environment at all. And um, single mom, she did like her best, but we didn't go to church. Just, you know, not what we were all about. But I was engaged in like a lot of destructive like behavior in my own situation. And eventually God sort of allowed me to feel that like that was really hurting me and hurting other people. So I decided I'm going to stop. I'm going to get my game together here and we're going to make some changes. This is right at the end of high school going into college. So what I did was I bought a really thick Bible. Um, It was like a study Bible for like people that really care about reading the Bible. And... um, I bought the study Bible, and I bought, like, a case for it with a handle. Are those things still, like, do people do those? Then you have to be, like, a grandparent to, like, carry one of those. And I had this case with the Bible in it, and um, I don't know why I wanted to do the Christian thing, like, why I thought that was going to be, like, the thing that was going to help. I went to college. I got involved in a campus ministry, okay? I got in the campus ministry. I joined the worship band, Okay? You know, it was, it was really serious. And I, some of this is probably starting to sound familiar for some of you guys. You're like, hey, I'm doing that. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Um, and uh, so I even took it as far after my freshman year of college, I went on a summer long mission trip. Not one of those lame, like week long deals for people that aren't invested. I went the entire summer. I'm just kidding. Short-term missions are a beautiful, wonderful thing, and I'm glad that you do them. Um, I'm going to go for the whole summer. So I, I'm sitting in this, like, suburb of London, and everyone that lives there is from India and Pakistan. It was a big, it was like hundreds of thousands of South Asian folks living there. And there's these people planting churches, and I'm, so I'm there, like, trying to get my, like, crap together and, like, do, like, the religious thing. And the thing that I could not, I was glad they were there. I thought they were doing some good things. What I could not understand is why they kept talking about Jesus all the time. I was like, how many meetings are we going to sit in and just talk about Jesus and talk about the Bible? Like, let's go do something. Like, why are we sitting here talking about the Bible all the time? And a couple years ago, I looked at a video of myself speaking at a banquet. And I was trying to raise money to go on this trip. Okay. And, um... I, I don't know that I was, I don't think that I was converted. Like I didn't know Jesus. I wasn't like into like the gospel. I had not given my life to Jesus. And so, but I wanted to sound like I had like a really good, like conversion. So like getting saved story. And, but I didn't have one. So I started talking about my sin, like just how bad it was and like how amazing it is that God would send me to this like mission trip. 
And like the only example on the video I could come up with of how bad my sin was is I had really inconsistent quiet times. You guys know what like a quiet, quiet time, like uh, quiet time is like when you like read the Bible by yourself and pray, uh, which is a wonderful, beautiful discipline to have. And um, when I was watching that video, it occurred to me, no wonder I didn't know why anyone was talking about Jesus. Like I didn't think that like I needed Jesus because I didn't think like I was a sinner. Like I thought I, I had just totally detached myself from my former life and said, my big sin is I don't have good quiet times and I didn't need Jesus at all. And really all I was trying to do was change my behavior so I didn't feel so bad all the time. I didn't have to feel so guilty all the time. If I start doing some of this good stuff, then I can start judging some people that aren't doing that stuff and I can feel better about myself. This guy goes to his father, and if you look in verse 17, he says, look, everybody, like the part-time help at my father's farm, they have three meals a day, and I'm starving. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to give him my I'm sorry speech, I'm going to give my apology, and then I'm going to ask him if he will hire me on as a part-time employee. And this is what some of you guys are satisfied with. And this is a lot of times what I'm satisfied with, too. I don't really need to be a son. I don't really need to, like, know you. I don't need to live with you. I don't need to be close with you, Jesus. But if you could just, like, hire me, and I could just, like, punch a clock and just get something, like, I could be satisfied with that because I still get to be in control what would possess this guy to think he had just flipped off his entire family and said, I wish y'all would just all die so I can get what I want? Like, does he think that his father's like going to hire him as like an employee? Um, it's a little presumptuous. And I think through this, we see where the son is. He hasn't hit the bottom. Some of you guys have hit the bottom. And I've been there when you hit the bottom. I'm like grateful to be there because the bottom is a beautiful, wonderful place. And don't be afraid of the bottom, guys. Jesus is at the bottom. Um, but he's not, like, grief-stricken that he hurt his father. He doesn't miss his father. He doesn't miss his family. He doesn't long to be with them. He isn't so upset that he's hurt them so badly. He misses living at home and eating three meals a day and sleeping in his old bed. And he misses his old life. And that's what he wants from his father. So he tries out rule-keeping. I'll earn it if you'll just bring me back. And that's where some of you guys are tonight. Some of you guys are like, look, I've made some mistakes. There's things I want to do. But, like, I just want to, like, punch a card. I just want to punch a time card. And, like, God will give me something. And I don't have to, like, give him everything. And, like, maybe he will um, just let me go home. And if you think that God responds to your sin and says, like, you need to come back and earn it, I want you to pay attention to this father. This is our last little section. If you were this father, and this son did this, and he came back, how would you respond to him? Better question. How, if you did this to your parents, how do you think your parents would respond to you when you came back? Some of you guys are like, I got my nose pierced, and I'm like freaked out to go home, and my mom's going to be so disappointed in me. Um, took my wife to get her nose pierced tonight, so you tell your parents that. Okay. Um, uh, what do you think your parents would say to you? Like, are your parents like the lecture type? 
Like, they're going to sit you down and let you know that why, what you did was so wrong. Maybe your parents are like the passive-aggressive, like, no, it's everything's fine, come in, but I'm going to treat you, like, differently. Because I want you to feel bad. As long as you feel bad, I can feel good about my parenting. Um, what do you think the father would have to say to this boy when he came back? Look at what the father does. Look at it with me at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father... But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father is looking for him. He's waiting for him. He's scanning the horizon. As long, and he's, a far, he's far off. And the father sees him. And he feels compassion for him. He has not given up on his son. He's not given up his son for dead. He's not said, well, he'll come back to me. He is waiting and looking and scanning the horizon for his son. And he feels compassion and he runs out to his son. In this culture, an older man running was like basically like an older man taking off all his clothes and like running through town. Like it was complete, like to pull, like he's wearing a robe to pull up that robe and like to run and like show your legs would have been completely humiliating to this father. He sees the son along with, he runs to him. He humiliates himself. He hikes up his robe and he runs. And I love the King James version of the Bible translates this so beautifully. He falls on his son's neck. He runs full speed to the son and he collapses onto his son. And he kisses him. And the word isn't just he gives him a kiss. He kisses him over. And it's like you can either translate this word like erotic kissing or kissing over and over and over and over and over again. He showers his son with kisses. He gathers his little boy up into his arms and pulls him close and just has an emotional moment on him. And then he lavishes gifts on him. Bring the best robe. Bring the family ring. The family ring was like the thing that like, you said, like, you're in the family. He's like, you are back in. I don't care what you did. You're back in all the way. You are my son. Give him new sandals. Kill the fattened calf. Pop the bottle of, the 50-year-old bottle of wine that you've been saving for your, like, 50th anniversary. Pop it so we can have a huge party. And the thing, the, like, the little bit of, like, resources that he had left that his son didn't basically steal from him, he spends it all. And a huge party for his son. Because he was dead. And he is alive again. And this parable is historically called the parable of the prodigal son. Okay? And the word prodigal means that you're like reckless in your spending. Okay? That you're like irresponsibly spending money. And Keller puts this so well. The son isn't the prodigal. The father is the prodigal. There's no reason on earth why this father should continue to lavish these gifts on his son, to fall on his neck, to run, to humiliate himself in front of everyone. But he runs out to his son because nothing mattered in the world to him like his baby boy mattered to him. And he runs out to him. And this is the image that Jesus gives us of what God is like for rule breakers. Like, do you know, no matter how far you run, no matter how, like, gross and yucky you feel, 
No matter how unlovely and unlovable you feel, that God scans the horizon ready to run to you and fall on your neck and cover you with kisses. Like, are you even comfortable talking about God like that? Um, Couldn't you come, like, if you're running, like, couldn't you come home if your father was like that? Um, This is where the son hits rock bottom. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't try to, like, I'm going to be your employee. He just says, I'm really sorry. He confesses. He earns up. He stops trying to earn it. Because the father doesn't let him try to earn it. Because you can't earn sonship. You can't earn being God's child. You just are, or you're not. And the reason why I didn't understand about Jesus, and the thing that I want you to leave knowing tonight, if you leave knowing nothing else, is that Jesus is the obedient son that always did what was pleasing to his father every single time. He never ran away. He never sinned. He always served and loved and adored his father forever. And he allowed himself to be rejected, to put out, to receive the lecture and the wrath from the father so that you and I could be adopted as a son or as a daughter of God. On the cross, Jesus says, Daddy, and God says nothing, so that he could say yes to you. That is the heart of the good news of the gospel, that, that salvation and life with God is a reckless, prodigal gift from a father who can't stop loving his rule-breaking kid. That is the heart. He falls on our neck when we wanted him dead. So, do you think you could work for that? Are you trying to work for that? Let's ask it like this. Do you expect the people on this campus to work for that? Do you expect the people in your classroom, your roommates, your friends, do you expect them to earn it, to get it right? And then they can come in. Who haven't you invited? If you like say like, yeah, I'm, I'm with Jesus, that's my thing. Who haven't you invited into your house or into this group because you said, ah, eh, it's not really the place for them because they're a mess? Um, are you an employee? Are you a son? The gates are open wide to be embraced by God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you um, have given us a story. We thank you that you obeyed perfectly. And then your grace, which is a gift, you gifted us that obedience. And you have made the way that we could be called sons and daughters of the Most High. Um, Father, would you continue to work in our hearts that we would trust you and that we would just delight in the fact that you adore your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.